0: go to the Lord our father we come to you this morning just like we heard and just read that all we want is that you would shine your face upon us we come to this morning we come to this moment when we're gonna hear from you and I pray that you would steal every heart that your word would work powerfully in our hearts. Not because of me, but because your spirit is able to take the words that we read in your scriptures and is able to carry them to the heart. This morning as we come together to celebrate Christ's death on our behalf, I pray that you would allow each one of us to rehearse this gospel in our minds. Those of us who've been walking with the Lord for some times, I pray that we will be once again reminded of the price that you have paid for us and what it is that you have done for us and that our hearts would be overwhelmed with joy, that our minds would impact our hearts and our affections grow toward Christ. I do pray for anyone here this morning who is still far away from the gospel, perhaps been attending the church their entire life or perhaps here for the first time, I do ask you that you would by your spirit work miracle this morning and you would cause the person to come to know Christ. You're able to raise the dead, physically dead, spiritually dead, and you do so through your word. I do pray that you would be glorified this morning in whatever way you choose. And I ask that in Christ's name. Amen. have your Bibles I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 27 this morning I want to bring you a message entitled Barabbas or Jesus Now, since today is the day when we celebrate communion I want all of us to actually rehearse in our minds what it is that we are actually celebrating here and I want us to do that this morning by looking at the events that took place on that Friday morning when Christ died from an unlikely perspective. We know that the overwhelming concentration of the gospel writers is on Jesus' final days and even his final hours. Now, not every gospel writer includes all the details because all of them are writing from their own perspective and they're writing for their own purpose. Now, few of the details, few of the people that are mentioned in every gospel for a specific reason. Every gospel writer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was compelled to include this account that we're going to be looking at this morning. Now I want us to look at the death of Christ from a perspective of one character who was so impacted by what happened on that Friday morning as no one else. No, I'm not saying that he got saved. I'm not saying that he appreciated what happened to him on that Friday morning. Perhaps he was a guy who just walked away and went back to his old ways. But I would argue argue that of all the people that were affected by what took place that Friday morning, no one has received or experienced a greater demonstration of the work of Christ in the gospel. In the early hours of that morning, This man was awaiting his well-deserved execution by crucifixion. And in the matter of hours, he walked away as a free man. Of course, I'm talking about Barabbas. Now, Barabbas does not have a significant part in the story of crucifixion. In fact, as we'll see in our text, Barabbas is an afterthought. The only reason why he is part of the story is because Pilate was looking for a cop-out. Pilate was looking for a way not to condemn Jesus. Oh, not because he was so concerned about justice, but because he wanted to save himself and save his own position. He was grasping at straws, trying to find something, some way to set Jesus free. Now, as we look at this text in Matthew chapter 27 beginning in verse 15, I wanna unpack it under three headings. First, the plan, the plan. Pilate comes up with a plan to set Jesus free. And he presents the people with a choice, two men, Barabbas and Jesus. Second, we'll look at the pick. The people and the the crowd and the priests and the elders they make their decision and they pick one of the two. And the third, we're going to step back from this account and we're gonna look at the picture. Why is this here? Why is this recorded? What is Matthew trying to teach us? Why does every gospel writer has to allude to this? What is the significance of this? So we look at the plan, look at the pick. And we'll look at the picture. Join me as I read Matthew 27, beginning in verse 15. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner whom they wanted. At that time, they were holding a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas? Or Jesus, who is called Christ. For he knew that because of envy they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. But the governor said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, Crucify him. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, Crucify him. And Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water. And wash his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people said, His blood shall be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas for them. But after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. We begin with the plan. Now before we actually dive in our text, We need to make a brief summary so that we know where we are in the story. This is Friday morning, early Friday morning. Jesus was arrested last night in the Garden of Gethsemane. About 600 soldiers showed up to arrest Jesus. And before his crucifixion this afternoon, Jesus is going to go through six trials. Six trials. Three of them before the religious leaders of Israel and three of them before civil authorities. As soon as Jesus was arrested, we read in John chapter 18, verse 12, that the first trial was in the house of Ennis. John 18, 12 reads, So Roman cohort and the commanders and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and led him to Ennis first. Now Ennis was the father-in-law of Caiaphas who was the high priest at that time. Now, even though he is not the high priest, but he's still the power broker in Israel. He's the highest guy. So first they take Jesus to his house. This was where the first trial was. Now, as soon as they're done there, we're told that they take him to the second place, which is the house of Caiaphas, who is the high priest. John 18, 24 says, So Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. After being questioned there at Anna's house, They take him to the house of Caiaphas. And Matthew tells us that there were elders, priests, and the scribes who were assembled. Now this was the trial where you had all the priests gathered together or some of the priests gathered together. And this is where they're trying to find some false witnesses who will accuse Jesus of something that they can condemn him to death. A number of them came forward and no matter what they threw at Jesus, nothing would stick. Now remember... This is happening in the middle of the night. In the middle of the night. This, is, this violates every law, every rule. You can't just go and grab a guy in the middle of the night, bring him to your house, get a couple of your bodies, get a couple of false witnesses, accuse him of something, and condemn him to death. You can't do that. This violates every law. This is illegal. And that is exactly what is happening. After they tried Jesus there at his house, they say he deserves to die, so they wait until morning. And in the morning you have the third trial where Jesus stands before the Sanhedrin. This is the Supreme Court of the nation of Israel. Matthew tells us in chapter 27 verse one says, now when the morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. Six o'clock in the morning, the Supreme Court of Israel gathers together. Now we know that the Jews cannot condemn anyone to death. Yeah, they can condemn someone to death, but they can't put them to death. And that's why following these three trials where Jesus is condemned by them, you have the civil trials under Roman authorities because only Roman authorities had right to put people to death. And so the fourth trial is before Pilate. Luke 23 verse one says, then the whole body of them, the entire Sanhedrin, with the exception of a few guys who were against it, it says they got up And they brought him before Pilate. They come before Pilate. And again, they bring false charges against Jesus. They say that he is an insurrectionist. They say that he's telling people not to pay taxes to Rome. And so Pilate interrogates Jesus. In fact, in verse 2 of chapter 23, they said, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Listen, he is rival to you guys. You guys should get rid of this guy. That's what they accuse him for. Pilate takes him in. Pilate interrogates him. And he declares him innocent. There was nothing to the charges that were brought against him. But as soon as he finds out that Jesus is from jurisdiction of Herod, Pilate wants nothing to do with this guy. Pilate wants peace in his own province. Pilate says, listen, I'm not responsible for this. I'm not condemning the innocent guy. Yes, he's from Herod's jurisdiction, so he sends him to Herod. And this is the fifth trial before Herod. Luke 23, 7 says, when he learned that he had belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself was also in Jerusalem at that time. You recall that that was the trial where Jesus did not say a word. Herod was not interested in justice. Herod was interested in satisfying his curiosity. And when Jesus stood there silent without saying a word, we read that Herod and his soldiers, they mocked Jesus. They beat Jesus, and they send him back to Pilate. And this is the sixth trial. When he stands again before Pilate, and this is where we find ourselves in this text. This is the final trial that Jesus is going to go through before his execution. Now, when when Jesus was before Pilate the first time, Pilate already declared in chapter 23 of Luke, verse 4, Pilate said to the chief priest in the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. And you would think that case is closed. I find no guilt in this man. Let's release him. But you see, Pilate finds himself on thin ice, both with the nation of Israel and with Caesar. You see, Pilate hates the Jews. Jews hate Pilate. Now, Pilate would want to do everything in his power to make them miserable, and they're doing the same thing to Pilate. Their constant rebellion and his constant inability to keep peace in the province has put him on thin ice with Rome. Caesar does not like it. You see, Romans, they prize money and they prize peace. When they go and they conquer the nation, they bring in their military, they bring in their governing official, and their job is to Maintain peace. If everything is peaceful, if everything is fine, everybody is just fine. But if you have constant rebellions, if you have constant wars, that's why Pilate is in trouble at this time. Now, Pilate wants to do everything in his power to get rid of Jesus, to release him. He understands that he is innocent and he wants to set him free. And that is why he comes up with this plan. Verse 15 says, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner whom they wanted. Now, Pilate sees this as a way out. Now, we don't know exactly when this custom began, but we understand why Romans would do such a thing. Like I said, they prize money and they prize peace. And so if they can do something to appease the crowd, to appease the people, so that they cooperate with them, so that they can maintain peace, they're just fine with that. And this custom that they had here is one of the ways how Romans wanted to appease the Jews. Yeah, you have one of your guys on your most holy day, we're gonna release him to you. Now he says at the feast they would do that. The Passover is the most important day in Jewish calendar. And Pilate sees this as an opportunity. This is a Passover weekend. He sees this as an opportunity because his first attempt to release Jesus because he was innocent failed. Herod didn't help him. Because Herod sent Jesus back to him, so now he devises this plan. What is the plan? Paul says, oh, or Pilate says, listen, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick the most heinous prisoner I have. And I'm going to let the people choose between him and Jesus. Now, no doubt, the people are going to choose Jesus. Because Pilate knows that just, just a week ago, this entire crowd was shouting Hosanna to the son of David. I mean, Jesus. the crowds loved Jesus. Jesus was always on their side. Jesus rebuked the leaders. And Pilate is thinking, I'll be great. I'm gonna pit the crowd against the leaders. And when the crowd sides with me, I'm gonna say, well listen, the people want Jesus, so hey, here we go. Jesus goes free, Pilate get what, gets what he wants, the people get what they want, And he gets a chance to snub religious leaders. So he says, I'm going to choose out of these two men. I mean, according to human calculation, this is a brilliant plan. I mean, this should work. If everything goes according to the plan, Pilate thinks, listen, I'm going to get off. Now, it says that they can choose any one prisoner whom they wanted. But Pilate narrows it down to two. Barabbas or Jesus. Now, who is Barabbas? Matthew tells us here that he was notorious prisoner. Pilate does not have to explain to the crowd who this guy is, everybody knows who he is. Mark tells us in Mark chapter 15 verse seven that he was insurrectionist and a murderer. Most likely he was part of some kind of rebellion against Rome and during that rebellion he has committed murder. John adds in John chapter 18 verse 40, that he was a robber. Now you can't help but remember that when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified between two robbers. No doubt, the third cross that morning was prepared for Barabbas. That morning, Barabbas was to be crucified with the two other men. Now imagine yourself in that crowd, that morning. Consider your options. Here stands Jesus. I mean, this man, who by all accounts in the last three years had completely transformed the region. I mean, he fed the hungry, he healed the sick, He gave sight to the blind. He restored the lame. He raised the dead. He delivered the demon possessed. He performed a lot of miracles. He helped a lot of people. He calmed the sea. He forgave sins. And you can go on and on and on. This is everything that he did. This is Jesus. And here stands Barabbas. A rebel. A murderer. Insurrectionist. Thief. Robber. Here are your options. Choose one. Jesus or Barabbas. Now you might think that the Jews loved someone like Barabbas. There is such a thing as the enemy of my enemies, my friend, but people like Barabbas brought trouble to everybody. You see, Jews didn't necessarily like guys like this. Yes, they hated Rome, but when someone did what Barabbas did, everyone got hurt. The Rome came down hard on everyone who tried to rise against their power. Now, Jews are not fans of Barabbas. These leaders are not fans of Barabbas. Regular folks are not fans of Barabbas. And Pilate knows that. And Pilate knows the reason why the Jews brought Jesus in the first place. Because verse 18 says he knew that because of envy they had handed him over. No, it wasn't religious dispute. No, it wasn't paying taxes to Rome. No, it was sheer envy. Now, Jesus had what leaders did not have. The leaders of the nation of Israel, they were envious of Jesus. You see, Jesus spoke with authority. Remember his first sermon that he gave? Sermon on the Mount? People listened to that and said, listen, he speaks with authority, not like our leaders. Jesus had credibility. and Crowds followed him. Jesus loved people. Jesus had compassion for people. Jesus publicly rebuked these leaders, and he humiliated them. Matthew 23, just read that. The crowds were on the side of Jesus, and Pilate knew that the leaders were envies of him. Pilate knew that these same guys already made several attempts to kill Jesus. You see, envy will drive you to murder, and Pilate knows that now isn't it interesting that this wicked wicked pagan can read the situation better than guys who have Bible memorized you would think that these are religious leaders and they should know better and here is this pagan here's this guy who's just trying to get off and save himself he knows exactly what is going on so Pilate stands before the crowd in verse 27, he asks, whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who's called Christ? Now, just a note here, in some of your versions perhaps, and some manuscripts read here, you want me to release for you Jesus Barabbas or Jesus called Christ. Now it is possible that his actual name was Jesus. When you read New Testament, you come across names such as, for example, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar means son, Jonah. Simon, the son of Jonah. In Acts chapter 14, Acts chapter 13, verse 6, we read a false prophet and his name was Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, verse 46, we meet a blind guy and his name was Bartimaeus the son of Timaeus and Luke Luke tells us in Acts chapter 4 verse 36 that Barnabas's name means the son of encouragement and here we meet Barabbas Bar son Abba father a son of a father now I mean there are so many ironies in this text and you can almost picture here that here stands this, these two guys. And Pilate stands and he says, Do you want a son of a father or the son of the father? Notice that twice in this text, Pilate identifies Jesus as Christ. In verse 17 and again in verse 22. Jesus who is called Christ. Jesus Christ. Again, we know this. This is not just his last name. This is a messianic title. Pilate knows that the Jews are expecting their Messiah. They know, Pilate knows that the crowd loves Jesus. And Pilate looks at them and he says, listen, do you want me to take this guy who is Messiah? Now, Pilate doesn't believe in him. Pilate mocks the Jews for that. He doesn't believe that, but he's trying to get the crowd to side with him. And he gives him this choice. You want Jesus or you want Barabbas? Now, as he gave him this choice, Matthew includes this interesting detail in verse 19. He says that as he's sitting on his judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. Notice that she identifies Jesus as that righteous man. It is as if Pilate needed more evidence that Jesus was innocent. He already has all the evidence. And here is another person telling him the same thing. Now, again, we don't know exactly what is going on with Pilate's wife. We don't know nothing about her. I mean, no doubt, probably this week, they spoke about Jesus. Last week, Jesus was in every headline. You could just think of the events that led up to this point. Jesus enters the city, and crowds are welcoming Jesus. You think Romans did not know about that? Of course they did. Jesus enters the city, he goes into the temple, and he cleanses the temple. You think Romans didn't know about that? Of course they did. Everybody knows that. There are these public disputes in the temple between Jesus and the religious leaders. Everybody knows that. The whole city is talking about this, and no doubt Pilate, and no doubt his wife, they've been talking about it, they've been discussing all that. And now whether this was just... Her coming to that conclusion that this was a righteous man or whether it was the Lord in the dream warning her about who this man is. So she sends a message to Pilate and she gives him this another confirmation. Listen, be careful what you do with that man. He is righteous. I have suffered greatly for him in the dream. So we see Pilate's plan. An innocent man versus a criminal. So what will people choose? Choose. Let's look secondly at the pig. Now while Pilate is sitting there in the judgment seat and he's processing the message that came from his wife, the chief priests and the elders are busy persuading the crowds. Verse 20 says the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. To ask for Barabbas. Now this is not going according to the plan. The crowd was supposed to ask for Jesus according to Pilate's plan. Now he understands this is not justice. This is just wrong. Now we can understand why the leaders hate Jesus. We can understand that he just came on the scene and he snubbed them and he's the guy in the front. He's the main guy, the crowds love him, the crowds follow him, and we can see why they're envious. But the crowd, the people, I mean, what did he ever do to the people? Has anyone ever have a legitimate complaint about Jesus? Oh, he's done this for me. Oh, we're literally talking about perfect man. Perfect man who has done nothing but love these people. The choice is between a perfect man and, as the text says, notorious criminal. Now when Pilate hears the crowd, like he can't believe it. He can't believe it. Verse 21, he says, which one of the two do you want me to release for you? Like, I, am I hearing it right? Are you serious? You want Barabbas? And they say, Barabbas, I mean, are you out of your mind? You want this thug? You want this murderer to go free? The guy who killed people? The guy who rebelled? The guy who's hurting you? You want him to go free? I was thinking, last week, US military went after the leaders of, leader of ISIS, Al Baghdadi, killed him. Now imagine this scenario. What if U.S. soldiers would capture the guy alive? And the following day you have crowds of American citizens standing in front of White House with signs and yelling and screaming, free Baghdadi. People say that's insane. That's crazy. The guy's a murderer. He killed people. He killed thousands of people. He maimed people. He burned people alive. He deserves to die. And here you have First century Baghdadi. And you have this crowd of people standing there and shouting, Free Barabbas, free Barabbas. And not only free Barabbas, Pilate asks him the second question. Okay, fine, I'll let this guy go free. He asked him a second question. Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? I mean, this question is even more important than the first. Pilate did not have to condemn Jesus, even if he let Barabbas go. Yes, Barabbas could not go unless Jesus would stay there. But Jesus could go because Jesus was an innocent man. But by this time, we see here that the crowd is bloodthirsty. With one voice they cry, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate is running out of options and he can't believe this. He looks at him, he says, why? Why? What evil has he done? Tell me, why should I put him to death? They have no answer. Why? Because he has done no evil. He has done nothing worthy of death. They have no answer. And they kept shouting all the more, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. This is a bloodthirsty mob who's out to get blood. They have nothing on Jesus. There was nothing to condemn him to death. Now this question, when Pilate says, why? What evil has he done? This is just another way to declare Jesus innocent. Pilate stands here and he says, guys, he has done nothing worthy of death. Why do you want me to condemn him? And it is at this point when this crowd is shouting, when the religious leaders and the crowd are all on one side and they're dead set against Pilate, this is when his plan just crumbles. Crumbles. He was hoping to pit the crowd against the leaders and release Jesus, but he underestimated their shrewdness. The, he underestimated the fickleness of this crowd. That just a week ago they were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. And now the same crowd stands and shouts, Crucify Him, crucify him. Now, at this point, Pilate has two options. Two options either he's going to stand with justice and he's going to suffer the consequences, whatever they may be. He's going to say, no, Jesus is innocent. I am not going to condemn him to death, regardless of what happens. Or he can condemn Jesus to death and save his position for at least time being. And we see that he chooses the latter. But not before doing this ceremony or this ritual to pacify his guilty conscience, verse twenty-four says, "When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, he couldn't convince these people. He couldn't argue them with them. He couldn't present evidence to them. He was accomplishing nothing by his plans, by his persuasion. But rather, that a riot was starting. He did not want another riot. If there was another riot, Pilate would be gone from his position." So what did he do? It says he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourself. Now it is somewhat ironic that the pilot uses this Jewish ritual to demonstrate his innocence. I mean this is from the Old Testament. God through Moses, he gave the following prescription in Deuteronomy 21. Deuteronomy 21 and verse 1, God says, If a slain person is found lying in open country, in a land which the Lord your God gives you to possess, and it is not known who has struck him, then your elders and your judges shall go out and measure the distance to the cities which are around the slain one. It shall be that the city which is nearest to the slain man, that is, the elders of that city shall take a heifer of the herd, which has not been worked, and which has not been not pulled in a yoke. And the elders of that city shall bring the heifer down to the valley with running water, which has not been plowed or sowed, and shall break the heifer's neck there in the valley. Then the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come near, for the Lord your God has chosen them to serve him and to bless in the name of the Lord. And every dispute and every assault shall be settled by them. All the elders of that city, which is nearest to the slain man, shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley. And they shall answer and say, our hands did not shed this blood, nor did our eyes see it. Forgive your people Israel whom you have rejected, O Lord. And do not place the guilt of innocent blood in the midst of your people Israel. And the blood guiltiness shall be forgiven them. And the problem with all this, the problem with what Pilate is doing is that he is guilty. That he is condemning an innocent man. He is putting him to death. See, no amount of hand washing with water can cleanse guilty conscience. No amount of rituals, no amount of ceremonies. Declaring yourself to be innocent does not make you innocent. But by this ceremony, Pilate testifies one more time that Jesus is innocent that is what he does here and by this time the crowd is worked up and listen to what they said his blood shall be on us and on our children Man, what a damning statement yes Pilate was guilty but this crowd was just as guilty they say that yes we are guilty whatever it is let it count to us and to our children Put it on our account. See, that's why 50 days later, when Peter stood before the same crowd of people, he said in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, he says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross, by the hands of godless men and put him to death. You are responsible because you stood there and you demanded his blood. You nailed him to the cross. Yes, you used Romans to do so, but you are guilty. And that's why you have to repent. Notice he says that everything that took place that Friday morning happened according to the sovereign predetermined plan of God. This couldn't have gone any other way. This was predetermined, and yet every single person who participated in the events of that Black Friday was responsible. Yes, it was according to the predetermined plan of God, but you are guilty. See, the religious leaders and the crowd, they made their pick, and they chose Barabbas. They chose guilty Barabbas over innocent Jesus, and as a result, verse 26 says, Pilate released Barabbas for them. But after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. We've examined Pilate's plan. We saw people's pick. Let's finally look at the picture. Now I want us to step back from this account. We've covered the details of the text. And I want us to just for a minute, just ponder for a moment Why this account is here? Why is this in the gospel? Why do gospel writers include this? Why every single gospel writer alludes to Barabbas? Is he so important to the narrative? No. No. If he wasn't there, the story would still be full. Now, if you read carefully and listen carefully to this account, I mean, there are several characters in the story that you can identify with. First, consider Pilate. Pilate, You you see his struggle. You see the struggle. Yes, this was a wicked man. Yes, this was a pagan. Yes, he didn't believe in Jesus. But Pilate knows better than everyone else in that crowd that Jesus is innocent. Yeah, the people also knew that Jesus was innocent, but they still demanded his blood. And yet, you see, Pilate, he's trying to do everything that he can to let Jesus go. Everything unless it cost him his job. No, he wasn't willing to go that far. No, he wasn't willing to put his own reputation for Jesus. No, he did condemn this man. Now you can identify with Pilate. You listen to this, you read this in your mind, and if you just step back and just ponder what is going on here, you would say, like, people, can't you see? People, what are you doing? Are you out of your mind? Here stands an innocent man. What kind of option is that? This is not easy. This is not hard. This is very easy. You have a perfect man and you have a notorious criminal. You have a rebel and you have a murderer. Who are you going to choose? It's not hard. You don't have to think hard. Pilate can't believe this. Can't you see that you are condemning an innocent man? Or maybe you could consider the crowd. We read this and we think like, and if I was there, I would have been a whole lot better. No, you wouldn't. Were it not for the grace of God, you and I would stand along with all those people and would shout, crucify him, crucify him. Remember Peter? Peter thought that he was better than traitor. And yet just in a few hours, he betrays Jesus three times before a servant girl. Now, we were just like that, Crouch. But I want us to go back for a moment and think about Barabbas. Barabbas. Barabbas stands as this amazing illustration of what is really happening in that moment. You see, the truth is that I am Barabbas. The truth is that you are Barabbas. The truth is that all of us here are Barabbas. You see, oh, we're, we're, we're not just participants in the trial. We're not just looking somewhere out there in the crowd and we're deciding between, no, listen, we are just as guilty as Barabbas. We're not just participants in the crowd, but we are standing here on the stage, Jesus and Barabbas. You see, we are guilty criminals. We have violated God's law, we have spurned his grace, we have rejected his love, and the cross that was prepared for Barabbas is the same cross that was prepared for you and me. You see, apart from the gospel, apart from the work of God, we are just like Barabbas on that Friday night or Thursday to Friday night in the morning. We are sitting on death row awaiting execution. And then comes Jesus. Comes Jesus. And Jesus comes, and he takes the place of Barabbas. He takes the place of Barabbas, and the punishment that was due to him, the judgment that was supposed to fall on him, falls on Jesus. And Barabbas gets to go free because Jesus doesn't. You see, that night... Barabbas was slated for his crucifixion. In the early morning, he walks away as a free man. Why? Because Jesus stands in his place. That's what the gospel is all about. This is what this is all about. This is what we are celebrating. Jesus stood as a substitute for Barabbas who went free because Jesus didn't. That's what we're celebrating. This is what we remind ourselves every single time when we come to communion table. Zoan one preacher put it beautifully. He said the heavenly father treated Jesus like Barabbas so that he can treat Barabbas like Jesus. The heavenly father treated Jesus like me so that he can treat me like Jesus. The heavenly father treated Jesus like you so that he can treat you like Jesus. You see, Spurgeon said, Jesus must die, or we must die, or justice must die. And justice is not about to die. Either we die or Jesus dies. You see, no one else that morning got a better picture of the gospel. You get to go free because someone else stands in your place and pays your price. This man woke up in the morning, if he even slept that night, knowing that he's going to be crucified. And in just a few hours, he walks away scot-free. Now, we don't know how Barabbas responded. He never says a word. He walks off of the pages of scripture. We don't know. Maybe he just went back to his old ways. Maybe he just went back to his body. Um, Or maybe something changed. We don't know. But this is here. And the question for us is, how do you respond to this? How do you respond to the gospel? You see, as believers, we hear this all the time. But if you were on death row, and you were literally set free and given a second chance, would you ever get used to that? But do we get used to the gospel? The sad reality is we do. We do. And this is another reminder that, listen, we were slated for crucifixion. And here comes Jesus who stands in our place and gives us freedom, which we don't deserve. As we go to communion in just a moment, I want you to ponder this thought. That Jesus stood in my place. And I am free today because Jesus suffered on my behalf maybe you're here this morning and you have never truly believed this story maybe you never truly understood what is at stake and I want you to ask yourself the question which Pilate asks in verse 22 then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ the answer to that question Determines your destiny. Maybe for the first time today, you will recognize that you are Barabbas, that you deserve what Jesus got, and yet Jesus stood in your place and suffered the wrath which you deserved. If that's you, confess your sin, believe in Christ, and rejoice that you have a substitute in Jesus Himself. Father, We thank you that you stood in our place, that all the wrath that was due to us, which we would endure for all eternity, was poured on Christ. In a matter of those hours, he has observed it all, and he has paid the price so we can go free. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for Christ. And I pray that every single one of us would this morning rejoice in this gospel, believe in this gospel, and live in this gospel. And I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.